I still got a lot of like, well, wait, you're just done. You're just going to give up. And that one I had to be really mindful about how I approached because it was even just that language of like, we're not giving up, we're letting go and we are exploring a different path. And I don't feel like I gave up on the dream to have a baby. I think that we just had to pivot and make a new route. Been There Injected That is a TMI podcast about going through infertility and all the hormone injections, awkward moments, and nervous breakdowns along the way. I'm Elise Ash. Hello, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Been There Injected That. Today we're talking to Katie Zeba, who is a high school social studies teacher in Minneapolis. She's a very outdoorsy person, and she's also a fertility advocate. So thank you so much for being here today, Katie. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm excited, too. I was so honored when you agreed to be a writer and contributor for the Fruitful blog because I think your story and point of view is so important and often a voice that we don't really hear from in the online fertility community, at least. Yeah, definitely. And I that was something that I felt from the beginning was I was like, well, where are all the other women who are navigating these decisions? I can't be the only one. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like too often we hear like one dominant path in infertility, which is like, okay, you have your heterosexual couple, you know, they try for a couple years, nothing happens, go to a clinic, go through a bunch of stuff. And then here's like the happy ending. And One of my goals with Fruitful and kind of in what we're trying to build over here is really showing that there are a bunch of different paths and that not all paths look the same. And then you do have choices in your journey. Yeah. And not all paths lead to a baby. And I think the voice that was missing for me with that realization was like, okay, this may not end with a baby. But the the voice that was missing for me was the voice saying, and that's okay. Like, it's still going to be hard and it's a terrifying thing to think about, but it's okay. And you're still a part of the community and you still have a story worth telling, but it might not be like you said, that like happy rainbows and unicorns and, you know, pacifiers ending. (laughs) Yeah, no. And I, and I really think um, that's something that definitely people outside of this community are uncomfortable with. Like you probably Mm -hmm. experience this all the time where you have people still, you know, we're praying for you. Um, it's not over. Don't lose hope. But you probably still hear that all the time. Um, but I think in the fertility community, it's a common theme too. Yeah. I mean, even like you said, in the infertility community, I still got a lot of like, well, wait, you're just done. You're just going to give up. And that one I had to be really mindful about how I approached because it was even just that language of like, we're not giving up, we're letting go and we are exploring a different path. And I don't feel like I gave up on the dream to have a baby. I think that we just had to pivot and make a new route. And then the other thing too was, well, don't you want to try anything it takes to get a baby? And I think that was where we really had to kind of stand in our conviction of, I mean, yes, a baby is something we always wanted and a family bigger than just the two of us, but no, I'm not willing to do anything it takes to have a baby. Like there are so many things when you say anything it takes, that's my finances, that's my marriage, that's my body, that's my hormones. That's, I mean, that's, that's everything. So that was really where we had to stay true in our conviction of, yes, this is something we wanted 
no, we don't feel like we're giving up on a dream. We just feel like we're creating a new one. And no, we're really not. And I think that was the hard truth in the infertility community. That was what was so hard for a lot of other people that we talked to was like, no, we aren't going to do everything it takes. Oh, my gosh. Okay. There is so much that we need to talk about. But I feel like we're getting way <laughs> ahead of ourselves. So No. Oh, my God. I'm just really excited to to talk to you about this because, like I said, this is a voice that oftentimes doesn't really get heard or isn't really loud enough, I think. I think too often we... We as humans like the happy ending. We want to hear everything's going to be okay. We're so uncomfortable when things are not okay or when things don't go according to plan. We cannot as humans deal with that. So that's what I'm like really excited to talk to you about today. But Katie, let's start at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of introduce yourself, you know, where you live, your profession, things you love, that kind of thing? Yeah, for sure. So right now I live in Minneapolis. Um, I was born and raised in Minnesota. I lived here most of my life. My husband and I met here, but we actually lived out in Denver for six years, kind of while we were going through, like we moved out as boyfriend and girlfriend, hadn't even been together a year. We moved out to Denver. And then by the time we moved back six years later, we were not only married, but had been married for Oh gosh, at that point, almost three years, which means that we were almost two years into our infertility journey. I, like you said, I'm a high school social studies teacher. I actually work at the high school where I graduated from, which is super fun and a really bizarre time warp. Full circle, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like walking down the halls and I'm like, wait a minute, I used to meet a boyfriend there after third period. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's like the same songs probably play in your mind, like the soundtrack of high school. Totally, yeah. And then, but then I'm like, no, wait, no, I'm the adult in the building right now. So I can't (laughs) be thinking about, you know, what my outfit looks like. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with Nick at the very beginning? Like what, what your relationship looked like before all this infertility stuff? So Nick and I, in the beginning, we actually, when we first met, um, we were both dating other people and pretty toxic relationships. Actually, now that we both like hindsight is super 2020 for both of us. We're like, what were we doing? But I feel like giving myself a little grace. I think we all have some of those relationships in our past where we're like, what on earth are you thinking? (laughs) So we actually just started out as really good friends, which I think was totally to our benefit because it set such a really good foundation for the beginning of a relationship, then the beginning of a marriage, and then truly for everything that has come after now, which is like big career changes, moving to a different state, moving back home from a different state, and then of course navigating infertility. So that foundation of a friendship has really been like rock solid for us. It's given us so much trust, so much communication, but the beginning of a relationship was just super fun. We just it sounds weird. Like I feel weird saying like we just played a lot, but we did like, we just like found new places downtown Minneapolis and we just like super spontaneous. Should we go do this today? Okay, sure. Let's go do it. Like just not a care in the world. We were both done with school and kind of figuring out what was next. So it was just kind of a fun time. And we had this awesome group of friends that we worked with. I mean, service industry, you make lifelong friends. That was, it ended up being like a third of our wedding guest list were people who we worked with. So it was a ton of just like hanging out around downtown Minneapolis. It was a lot of um, bar hopping. It was a lot of like, let's just book a plane ticket to go to Boston next week. Like just really cool, fun, spontaneous stuff that I didn't feel like I had with my boyfriend in college or the boyfriend that I was with before I met Nick. Like it was just kind of a cool 
I can do whatever I want right now type of beginning of the relationship. When did you decide to start trying to have kids? And was that something you'd always talked about or wanted? So yeah, I knew it was always something I wanted. We talked about it when we were dating, like, but in kind of that fun, you know, oh, wouldn't it be, wouldn't our kids be so cute? Like you're just dating. So you're not seriously talking about having kids together yet. But even those conversations kind of make way for like, okay, so this guy is on the same page as me. Like mm-hmm. he also wants kids and he think it would be cool to have a boy and a girl. And, you know, so it was still just those little, you know, nuances of like, okay, cool. We are on the same page. So then after we got married, we said, and I don't know for where, I don't know where I got this from, but I've just always said, I want to be married for a year before any big changes before, you know, we move again or before we start having kids or I just want to enjoy. Well, and right. And like, I don't know where that came from because (laughs) like I said, a lot of he and I's relationship was super spontaneous. So I don't know if that was like a family values kind of thing or what, but I also just knew like how cool I just got married to this guy who's awesome. And let's just like be married and enjoy living in Colorado and whatever. So we got married in August of 2015. And then June of 2016, I'll never forget. We were like in our backyard in the hammock. And I said, I think I'm ready. And he was like, typical male response was like, right now, ready? Like, are we, we going to go <laughs> so like, do literal, it right now? Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> All right. Calm like, am down, I getting buddy. sex like, right now? Yes or no? You're like, okay, <laughs> yes, I kind of exactly. meant like conceptually one day. Yes. Like I'm ready to begin that process of trying, but yeah, of course in the male brain, it was like, yes, we're having sex right now. So yeah, that summer. And we didn't tell anybody. We're like, let's just, let's just see what happens. Let's just start trying. Like we're going to be a little bit more intentional about our sex, I guess, which like sounds so weird. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but we didn't really want to tell anybody yet. We we didn't want to like broadcast to the world, like, okay, everybody, we're going to start trying to have a baby which was also weird for me because I love telling people about plans that we have. Like every plan I made for the wedding, I wanted to broadcast. And every time we book a trip, I like need to tell somebody I'm very like, I'm super active on my social media. I like to tell people parts of my life, but for some reason it was like the universe just knew, like maybe keep this one quiet for a little bit, Katie. So after you decided, okay, like, let's go on and do it. And it had started getting month after month, month after month. When did you think that maybe something was off or, you know, what, when did you start going in for tests and stuff? It's weird. I distinctly remember in month six and like, I don't know why, I don't know if it's just because it's kind of a milestone of half a year or what it was about month six that I when I got my period and, you know, wasn't pregnant again, it was like, oh my gosh. Okay. How, what, like, what do I have to take? I, you know, I spent the majority of my twenties trying not to get pregnant and now, you know, with birth control and condoms and whatever. And now that I'm like, just having all the sex, all the unprotected sex, like, where is this baby? And it just wasn't happening. And I distinctly remember month six crying and saying to Nick, what if this doesn't happen? And he was like, of course it's going to happen. And he always was very reassuring through the whole thing. Um, But I thought, you know, I am just going to go talk to my doctor. And I had a doctor out in Colorado who I really liked, just not even like fertility, anything yet, just my regular OBGYN. And so I sat and chatted with her, made an appointment. And of course she mentioned like, well, you kind of need to wait a year if it doesn't happen within a year, which to me was so 
I remember leaving that appointment feeling like this is bogus. I have to wait an entire year to then start testing to figure out if something is wrong with me. Like any other type of medical concern, I feel like no doctor would be like, nah, come back and see me in a year. Oh, we have to, we've talked about this so much. Like, and I've thought about it kind of like if your knee hurts and you go into the orthopedist, they're not like, Hmm. Well, people whose knees hurt who are this age, they like do an x-ray of your knee. Yes. Yeah, I agree. It's super bogus. I would have said something else, but yeah, bogus for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So I, yeah, I left feeling like, well, this is dumb. Like, I don't, I don't want to wait another six months. These first six months have already, and it's such a freaking roller coaster, right? Like you're excited. Like, you know, you have the sex on the right day and you're like, okay, sweet. I can feel it. Like, this is the month. I know it. And then you do all that like mind talk too, where you're like, going to get pregnant, going to get pregnant. It's going to happen. Come on eggs. Come on. You know, yeah. like you're giving yourself a little like motivational, like you're talking to your ovaries. You and know? mathematically, you're like, statistically, we've had sex every eight hours. For a while. You're like, There's no way that, you know, we're getting out of this one. No way. Yeah. Yeah. And this month I put my legs up the wall after we had sex. So gravity is going to help. This and month I ate too. a lot of Brazil and... nuts. So you know, <laughs> it's like yeah. so insane. So I waited the bogus extra six months and went in for my one-year appointment and... God, I don't even remember what happened after that. Like, I think it was the like general first round, you know, let's do some blood work and let's look back at your family history and let's do all this kind of stuff. So even after that one year appointment, I still was like, Hey, this is dumb. Like I still don't have any answers. And we've been, you know, we've been trying for a year and it was like that general frustration, but still, we still had not really said like, all right, we'll just be done if we don't have any answers. As I kind of talked about in my blog post, I had said, you know, we had said from the beginning, and this was also really odd for both Nick and I, because we've always been so spontaneous, was that that June that we did have that conversation of like, yeah, let's start trying. We did say, what if this isn't a thing? Like, what if we start trying and it doesn't happen? And I don't know where that conversation came from. Like somewhere in the universe said, you guys need to think about this reality being a possibility. Because when you first start trying, that's the last thing you want to think about is what if this doesn't happen? Because in your brain, that's still not an option. Like, of course it's going to happen. We're going to have a baby. We want a baby. We're both healthy. We have a great sex life. Like, of course this is going to happen. But somehow we were like blessed with this. And I actually kind of hate that word blessed. Like we were like granted this gift of like, Hey, maybe think about this and have a conversation about it early. And so we did and landed on really similar pages. I mean, that's a terrifying conversation to have because what if he's like, no, absolutely not. I want to have a baby or vice versa. And the other person's like, nah, I don't really care. I think it's really rare when a couple feels the same way about something at the same time. Like, yeah, usually there's one member of the couple who has a greater sense of urgency or feels more strongly about something. And I mean, the other thing that's unique about that conversation you had with Nick so early is I feel like a lot of people change their minds as they go through fertility treatments, whatever it is you're going through, most people seem to have a hard line that they kind of put up. But then when they get to that line, say, oh, you know what? Like, 
you know, we said only one round of IVF, but, you know, let's do it again. Or, you know, we said we were only going to do this thing, but now, no, let's look at donor sperm or whatever it is. And I think that's a really unique story with you and Nick of coming to an agreement so early, being aligned and then committing to that decision. Yeah. And, you know, that first conversation, it's interesting that you say that because I don't feel like either of us really ever did alter our, or change our minds. Like we both, we drew that line and every time it came back up after one year, after two years, after three years, approaching four years, it was always like, do you still feel this way? Yeah. I do still feel this way. Yeah. Like it was very, I think the only times we ever really strayed on agreement was we each both kind of took turns a few times in those three and a half years saying, I'm kind of tired. I think I need a little break and, you know, a break from trying, obviously not like a break from our marriage, (laughs) but like there were just times where he would kind of say like, this isn't fun anymore. I think we should stop trying for a few months. And I, while that was hurtful and scary and, oh my God, but I'm not ready to stop trying. It was with the understanding that we just needed to step away for a breather. And I did that too. I mean, I told him at one point, I was like, I don't know what I want right now. So I don't really feel like we should be actively trying for a baby. And so we both kind of gave each other a little bit of that grace to just step away. But it wasn't like, this is our final solid decision. It was just, okay, let's, let's put it aside for right now. Let's focus on something else. And then We'll come back to it. We'll be right back. When you're trying to get pregnant, the sheer volume of products and supplements can be completely overwhelming. There are so many vitamins, ovulation trackers, apps. Woof. So if you're looking for a place to start, check out our deals page at fruitfulfertility.org slash deals. We partner with the most amazing companies in the industry who all want to help get you pregnant. Whether it's a new meditation tailor-made for an IUI or IVF cycle, or access to fertility nutrition courses designed by experts, we've got you covered. Check out all of our partner deals at fruitfulfertility.org slash deals. Now back to the show. Did you ever end up going to a clinic? Like, did you ever kind of take that next step to see okay, is there a diagnosis here? Like, should we at least see what our options are? Or was that like, no, I don't even want to go into a clinic? I didn't because we had a few, we had kind of a few interruptions. Like there was one fall that I drove myself to urgent care, to the emergency room because I was in so much pain. And it turned out that I had had ovarian cysts. And, you know, talking with the doctor in the emergency room, it was like, no, this will not impact fertility. But then talking with my doctor later was like, well, it can, because it can impact, you know, how many eggs that particular ovary is producing each month. And then doing like, you know, the the HSG x-ray and how painful that was and just everything, every test result that came back and every doctor that I talked to and everything that kept coming back is like, nope, it's normal. Nope, you're good. Nope, you're able to get pregnant. Your body's in great condition. You're in great shape was just like another, like almost punch in the gut of just like everything around me and everyone around me was saying, you should be able to get pregnant, but I wasn't. And so I feel like that next step of going to a clinic, I just was like, I don't want to be met with more uncertainty and more non-answers and more, you know, this could be possible, but it was just, it just felt like there were no, 
no more roads to that final destination of a baby. It just felt like, oh my God, I have to go through another round of testing and talk to another new doctor and have someone else poke and prod at my body. It just became so exhausting that um, I took the pamphlets home that the doctors gave me, but we never even really talked about it. It just was kind of like, nope, we're, we're just tired of the non-answers and we don't want any more non-answers. Did you ever feel external pressure, not from Nick, but you know, from your family or from friends or from you know your physicians or anyone else to kind of maybe keep going down that path? I don't, that's a really good question. I mean, in some ways people, I mean, and I think it was through the way of like people asking, well, have you done this? Well, have you tried this? Well, have you talked to this person? And I think that's where that guilt started to set in for, for me at least was like, well, no, we haven't done that, but that's because we don't, we're not there yet. Or that's because we don't want to do that. And I think that's then that kind of discomfort that we talked about was when you just say like, no, we're not going to do that because we don't want to. People don't understand that. Well, and that's again what I was going back to saying, like people don't understand when you just say, that's just not the path we're going to go to. We're not going to go searching for more answers because we don't believe that they're there. We don't believe that, you know, this is our next step. So I think that was the pressure was just people being inquisitive, which I had to keep reminding myself they were doing that with best interests of heart and, and in their way of being supportive. But it did, that did feel a little bit of, of pressure. Other than that, I mean, like my mom was so good about, you know, it's, it's your decision. It's your marriage. It's your body. My sister was, my sister is so good at like, fuck what other people say. You guys get to decide this. Like this is your, you know, same thing. It's your marriage. It's your body she totally understood the pain, but also understood that like we had to do what was right for us. And so if that didn't mean, if that didn't include fertility clinics and another round of testing and doctors and spending all this money, then fine. Like, you know, she, she even, she was like, selfishly, that's fine. You get to just be the best aunt ever to my kids. And I was like, perfect. I love that role. You know, like she just found those other really good ways of being supportive about it. I remember when I was going through all this stuff and there was someone in my life who I was very close to who had said, you know, there are other ways that you can mother people. There are other ways you can show up and support your nieces, nephews, cousins, kids, the people in your community, in your neighborhood, yeah. in your life, like this whole next generation. It doesn't just need to be quote unquote motherhood the way you see it. And at the time I remember being like, no, you don't understand. Like, this is so different. But I think now with time, I've been able to recognize, like, how true that is and how no one's saying it's the same thing. But there are ways that you can channel a lot of that energy into your other relationships. Is that something you feel, you know, with your with your students as a teacher? Oh, totally. You know, every every teacher has the story of the students who accidentally call them mom. And it's like so embarrassing for the kid, but it seriously just makes my heart sore. Like, I'm like, yes, I have maternal characteristics that they're like, yeah, confusing me with their mom. Like, they feel so comfortable with you. I mean, can you imagine accidentally yeah. somebody ca calling somebody mom? Like, you would have to be so close to them. Right. And it's so sweet because it's always like the big, like tough guys. Like, it's never just like the sweet girl who's like, oops, sorry, I accidentally called you mom. It's always the guys who have like that hard outer shell. The football that are, like, player. Yeah. <laughs> Was it hard to make peace with your decision to stop trying? Yes and no. I mean, we're over a year out of making that, closing that final door and saying we're done. And I still, 
like, I don't know if you saw on social media this last week, there was like all of a sudden, and I don't know where it came from or where it started, but all of a sudden it was National Daughters Day. And then all oh of a sudden my it was gosh. National Sons Day. I'm like, really glad you brought this up. Like, where did these days come from? I don't feel like anyone has ever celebrated them before. Like, another thing where I'm like, this is bullshit. Like, what, you know, there's already a Mother's Day and a Father's Day and a Grandparents' Day, and now there's never gonna celebrate these kids that I don't have <laughs> like it was totally like, and like great now there's like another weird whack-a-mole day I have to remember to like not be on social media that day and <sighs> I remember also like I, this just happened this past week and I remember thinking like wow these people posting like didn't even know this was a thing four minutes ago it's just an excuse to post pictures <laughs> about your kids which is fine right. but like can can you just post a picture of your kid do we have to disguise right. it as like national blah 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 day yeah no exactly they didn't know about it four minutes ago they just saw someone else post it and they were like here's here's my kid let me post a picture of them so even stuff like that that it's just so like rubbed in your face and so even more than a year out I was like shit man like I wanted a daughter and I wanted a son and I had names picked out for them and I still think about them all the time, these non-existent humans that I created in my brain and in my heart. And like, this sucks that now people have a day that they get to celebrate their sons and daughters and I don't have that. So yeah, there are still some parts that are really hard to make peace with. But at the same time, when we said, you know, a year ago, all right, we're done. The weight that was lifted off of my shoulders was like, unimaginable. And I don't think I had realized that that weight had been there, which then made me kind of think like, God, should we have thought about this sooner? Because it really took a toll on my mental health and kind of just being able to move forward with that idea of it's just going to be the two of us, period. Instead of like, it's just the two of us for now. And that, that constant string of unknown and waiting and no answers and eventually we'll have a baby or when we have a baby, it just was like, we just kept planning for stuff that wasn't there. And so then closing that door and starting to go down that next path was like, it was like, Oh my God, we have so much freedom, which I, you know, the guilt of even saying that is still really palpable, but it was like, okay, now we can actually start making plans because we know that a baby is not there. So what are we going to do? If, if we're not going to have the baby, we are going to buy a house. We bought an RV. We are planning trips. Well, of course we're planning trips before COVID hit, but it just felt like we were a little bit more free to navigate that new path without wondering what was going to come next because we could decide what was going to come next. You wrote a beautiful blog post for Fruitful, and I'm going to link to it in the show notes here so people can find their way there. Um, there was one part that I want to read because it stood out to me as this, like, painful, beautiful sentiment. And you brought up the word guilt a few times, and mm -hmm. this part is kind of alluding back to that, too. And I'd just love for you to speak a little bit more about it, but I'll, I'll read it just so people know what we're talking about. So you you wrote... We felt deeply this just wasn't our path. We didn't share this with a lot of people in fear of being judged for not being willing to do anything it took to get pregnant. My guilt had already begun and I didn't even have concrete answers yet as to why we couldn't get pregnant, but I was already feeling shame for not wanting to try everything. Was this my guilt or was I manifesting this from societal expectations to become a mother? Yeah, God, like 
I know those are my words, but even hearing you read them back to me was like, like, yeah, it, I mean, it, it still hits in a, in a really raw way. I think that part when I was talking about, does that guilt, is it mine? Like, is this truly something that I've just convinced myself that we don't really want to try everything, but really deep down, I'm like, shit, I do want to try more. Or I really had to separate that from, do I feel like I need to try more because being a mother is like shoved into our faces by society. And like we were just talking about with the Facebook or social media posts, you know, Instagram, it is everywhere. Mm -hmm. The expectation and assumption of being a mother is everywhere. I mean, we are conditioned to be mothers. We I mean, we could go down a million different roads here. No, we're we're taught as women, like, this is your primary role. This is your value. This is your worth. You get married. You stay hot. You can be, you can be uh, successful and have a job if you're still hot and have a husband and cook dinner for him every night and still put on a smile. And yeah, you have kids. You have more than one kid. You're happy about it. You're... Um, you're not a martyr about it. You're so blessed. You're so grateful for posting on national daughter Sunday, whatever bullshit. (laughs) Right. No. And, and anything less than that is like fail. Well, it's fail. And it's like, well, then what are you going to do? And, you know, I think the feminist movement has done a lot for us as like, especially lately. And I think like generationally our generation, we've paved some really good paths of like, finish your degree and then go finish another degree and then get a job and then get married and have kids if you want to. But it still is that caveat of like, then get married and have kids. So it's still like, yeah, go get it girl. Like, or like that's still like the normal default path and you can do other stuff, but you better have a fucking good reason. Well, and it, it is still the like, yeah, go to school, get a degree. So it became accepted that women were having kids later in life. Like that's totally acceptable now. But it still is weird that you're just not going to have kids. Like, so then what are you guys going to do? And then people just think like, oh, yeah, so you guys are just going to like, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to sit at home and drink and you're going to like, and it's like, well, no, we're going to like, we're still going to have this like super full life. Like my body can't make babies, but guess what? We can make a whole hell of a lot of other stuff. Like I have other interests and hobbies. There's so much more to me than that maternal part of me. And so I I just think like there's still a ways to go in that feminist movement of, yes, you can have the degrees and the job and the career and the the house and the car and the kids like that is still a part of the expectation in society. And so, like I said, I really had to navigate that and separate that of, is this my guilt deep down? I really, I really am changing my mind. Like you said, like, do I need to have another conversation with Nick? Or has this just been so shoved in my face and down my throat for my 34 years of life that I I just feel like I have to, I have to have kids, right? So I think a lot of those internal conversations of like, no, I don't. I have so many other things I want to do with my life and so many other things I can do and create and become. So that was kind of a big defining moment too. How can loved ones better support people who are making this decision and committed to living child-free? I love this question because I don't really think it's asked enough because so much of what we heard was, 
I just don't know what to say. Like people don't talk about infertility a lot and people don't talk about that decision of not having kids a lot. And you're right. I mean, they're right. We don't talk about it a lot, which is why I'm so grateful for like what you do with fruitful and what, you know, some of these like social media, Instagram, especially has been so good for more visibility and things like that. But the best way that I can put it is infertility and the decision to be, to remain childless is a form of grief. And we are surrounded by grief. Like we experience grief so much in our life. We, you know, the death of a loved one. Um, I mean, you start experiencing grief as a kid, right? Like whatever dream is lost or whatever, like you didn't get the grade or you didn't win the championship or like, you know, we experience grief in so many different ways. And there are so many ways to tell someone who is grieving that you're there for them. Even if you're not like, oh, I'm really sorry that the sex isn't working. Like you don't need to like <laughs> call it out, but very basic supportive things like, gosh, this sounds so hard for you. I'm sorry that you're having to navigate this or please let me know if there's anything I can do for you. Or, you know, just like, I think the talking about it seriously, because people don't, because they don't know what to say because it's uncomfortable. And I don't know if it's uncomfortable because it's like, you are kind of talking about someone's sex life, but it doesn't help. But I, I think that's just one component. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we have to shift that lens. Like it's, it's grief. These people that are around you that are experiencing this loss of a dream or who are having to make a major decision, like, are we done? Are we not done? Are we going to be childless? That's a big decision. So just like any other big decision that a loved one in your life is facing, you offer support, you validate the feelings and you let them know that you admire them for having, you know, for making, for being so strong or for being so brave. Or, I mean, I, I just think it's so like grief is universal. We've all experienced it. There are very generic things you can say to someone who is grieving, but still have meaning behind them. I have had people in my life say, well, we just didn't know what to say and we didn't want to make you upset or uncomfortable. I just think that's like such a bullshit excuse. Like you would never say that to someone whose mom just died. Well, I didn't know what to say and I didn't want to make you feel bad. No, you would offer them sympathy and support. It's the same thing. It's grief. We overthink it. You know, we want to say the exact perfect thing that's going to fix it instead of just saying like, this sucks and is really unfair. And I'm sorry you're going through this. Yeah. And quite honestly saying, I had a friend say to me, I don't know the words to say mm -hmm. to you, but I just want you to know that I'm here for you. And I was like, that's it. Those yeah. are the words you can say to me is like calling it out and saying like, I don't, I don't know what you're feeling, but I know that you're in pain was enough to be like, holy shit, that's the most important thing you could have said to me, you know? I mean, so yeah, it, it doesn't have to be perfect and you don't have to understand the ins and outs of infertility or of the reproductive process or anything to just know, I mean, just look at it pragmatically for what it is. This person is grieving and this person is making a huge decision that they never wanted to make. I think with people making a, a decision to stay childless, advice for people around them, for loved ones, like, tell them you're proud of them. That's a big decision. That's a hard decision. Remind them of all of those other things. Like I kind of had the realization myself, but remind them, like, look at what you are going to do. You are going to start your own business or you are going to build a house or you are going, you know, remind them of all those other things that, because that I think is, was the hardest part was like, 
well, what am I going to do if I'm not going to have this dream of a baby that I've always wanted, if that's not going to come true? It's like those reminders of what you see in your loved one besides them being a parent. Because we hear so often, oh, you would make a great mother. You guys are going to be great parents. Well, what else are they going to be great at? Because there is a lot more especially for people making those decisions. Yes, that was so good. Oh my gosh. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. I mean, so beautifully said. So I just have one more question. You know, what do you wish you could tell other women or couples going through this or trying to make this tough decision about letting go? I think ultimately, if it's your decision, it's the right decision. And so that goes back to, you know, the separating of, is it that I want to keep trying to have a baby or is it because other people around me are telling me to keep trying to have a baby? As long as it's your decision, it's the right decision. And then when you make that decision, yeah, it's still going to be hard. It's not like this magic wand is waved and you're like, oh, I feel great. Okay, we can just move on. I mean, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of work to then move forward and envision that next step of a life without a dream that you had held on to for so long. So you really have to give yourself that grace and that patience and that time to craft out that new life. You are grieving. You are stepping into an unknown because you've probably been planning for motherhood for most of your life. So giving yourself that grace and and it is it, it's those maternal characteristics that you have you're going to you need to give yourself that compassion and that empathy and that patience and remind yourself of that it was your decision so it's the right decision and it's you and your partner's decision and you still have that wonderful partner by your side to get through this next season of life together and i think that has been what's been so great for me and nick is like we have really taken some time and it has been over a year and it is still hard, but we're so happy with what we get to do and what's coming up next. Like there is still more to look forward to and more to create in our life together. Thank you so much, Katie. Thanks for sharing your story and sharing so much about what you've been through and your relationship with Nick. It's so awesome. And I just really appreciate you and your voice. Thank you. Well, I can't thank you enough for the platform to keep sharing these stories and and it's so important to get these stories out so using the platform that you have is really a gift for all of us in this community thanks well doing our best always room to improve so i appreciate it so much katie thank you in there injected that is produced by fruitful fertility and hosted by myself elise ash thanks for tuning in if you liked what you heard please leave us a rating and review Subscribe to get updates and visit our website at fruitfulfertility.org. Thanks for listening.